after the helicopter stops buzzing the church. I want us to, uh, we're going to start something new this morning. Um, I, I want us to take a, a new look at faith. You know, you can hear faith so much, you can hear it all the time, but the question is, is it working? We need to approach the Word as though we are approaching something new for the very first time. Because when you approach it as I already know that, then you're not open to receive. You're not receptive. Um, anyway. I was, I was thinking about something the other day, and I, the, this thought came to me. Why do people pray and, or pray and or exercise their faith, and yet they don't see, uh, they don't see results? They don't experience results. Why? What's, what's the problem here? You know, when I was a teenager, I, my, one of my, uh, my first car was a 56 Chevy. And um, when I got it, I began working on it, adding this and adding that. You know, back in, it was back in the, the days when the muscle cars. And uh, I, I put a new carburetor on there. I put a, did this and I did that, you know. And, and when I got through, it it when it ran, it ran real rough. And uh, my dad got some of his tools out and did a little, little of this and a little of that. And when I turned it on, it ran, just ran really good. And I think uh, some believers may need a little tweak. A few little changes here, changes there, so that you can see your faith working. You know, Solomon talks about it's the little foxes that destroy the vine. In other words, it's not the big things that are always the problem. They're obvious. But it's those little foxes that sneak in and do the damage. So we're going we're gonna to see what, what comes out of this. I want to read a few scriptures, and I, I trust you write them down, but uh, I, I want to begin by showing you what the Word of God has to say about faith. Um, when we were going to college, when I was in college, uh, it was a denominational college, and uh, Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, uh, E.W. Kenyon were not well received. They were heretics. They were nya 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 nya. You know, and um, the faith message was not well received. Confession. You know, faith and confession go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And these things were not received. And I thought, well, how's that working for you? Rejecting faith, how's that working? So let's, let's take a look. Habakkuk 2.4 Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. I love the way he he words that. It says says it just a little different in in the gospel in the New Testament, but it says here, "But the just, the righteous, shall live by his faith." Amen. So, like one minister worded it, he says, "How's that working for you? How is your lifestyle?" Is it one of increase or just barely getting by? 
if I'm living by my faith, it should be reflected in my life. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God, in, in it being the gospel, for in the gospels, which is the good news, pardon me, is the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, notice, notice what he says, as it is written. So obviously he's talking about the Old Testament. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, it says, but that no man is justified or declared righteous by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Not by works, not by the law, by faith. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now, the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. I want you to look at this here. Five times it tells us that we are to live by faith. You know, if, if you, we used to be told in the in the Baptist church, you know, if you find it in the Bible, you're supposed to live by it. When he says something to you this many times, you better sit up and pay attention because he's talking to you. We are to live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 For we walk by faith not by sight. Let's say it like this. For we live by faith, not by our senses. Not by our circumstances. God has, has said to us, we are His children, and He wants us to learn to be like Him. That is your authorization. Let me just show it to you. Go over to Ephesians 5. I, I, uh, I don't like the way the King James worded it. There's others that are more elaborate in their... I was reading one yesterday. It says, uh, But you, you therefore, followers, followers of God as dear children... Uh, I'm sorry, be ye, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. Yeah. Am I in the right? Yeah. yeah. As children also have loved, have loved us. I'm sorry. Let me, let me start again. Be ye therefore imitators of God. That's, that's the way one translation says it. You know, the highest form of flattery is to be an imitator. And we are to be imitators of God. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul to the church, and he's telling us, be an imitator of God. What does that say? Talk the way he talks, act the way he acts, and get the same results that he gets. 
You, you, you know, people can say, you are, a, you are an extremist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's go over to Genesis. I want us to start this morning by uh, looking at some examples. We need to learn, th learn that this is one of the primary lessons believers need to learn. How to use your faith. So this morning, I'm going, we're going we're gonna to start this off by, I want us to, to look at um, faith, we're going to entitle this, Faith Sees. Faith Sees. And we're gonna, we want to look at, at words and seeing. Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start the first verse. And I'm using the King James. And the whole earth was one language and of one speech. How many languages are in the earth today? How many different dialects do, do some countries have of one language? You know, you, you, you read this first verse and you just, it doesn't register. We've, we've, we grew up with so many different languages all over the earth. Simon Potter was sitting at, a, at, a, at the table one evening after service and uh, he says, you know what they call a person that speaks three languages? Trilinguist. You know what a person's called that that speaks two language, bilingual. You know what they call a person. Now this is this is Simon's. This is what Simon said. You know you know what a person that speaks one language is. That's what I was going to say, but he says no, British. <laughs> yeah, because he's he's from England. You know, I was going to say American. So. Anyway, moving right along. Verse 2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said to one another. Get that. They said to one another. Come now, let us make brick and burn, burn them thoroughly. And they had brick, brick for stone, and they had slime, for, slime they had for, for mortar. And they said, come now, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make, make a name, let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built, built, builded. And the Lord said, Behold, now pay, pay real close attention to the, to, the ver, to the verbiage here. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they all, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Come, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another, one another's speech. Notice in verse 6, And the Lord the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin, notice, because they had one language, they, this they begin to do. I mean, that seems to be the way that it's worded, and the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have one language, and... This 
they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained. The word restrained, it means to withhold, make inaccessible, made inaccessible, to be withheld from, or to wall up. When you wall up something, you wall it off from another area, and you cannot get in because of the wall. And nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. To fix thought upon. Imagine. One of the definitions of imagined is to, to fix your thought on something. I can, I'm, I'm imagining what I'm going to have for lunch. Now, see, the same thing's going through your mind because of what I said. I want, I want you to look here in verse, uh, verse 3. I want us to, to, to look at the, at the key elements here. And remember, we're talking about faith. These people are not born again. They're not even God worshipers. Not, let's say it like this, they're not Jehovah worshipers. The tower was for the purpose of offering sacrifices. In verse, in verse uh, chapter 11, as we go through... As we go through uh, this chapter, we see that the that that the Bible records, and they said three times, three times in these few verses. In verse three, and they said to one another. Verse four, and they said, "Come, let us build." Verse five and six. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Everybody had one language. And through that one language, listen, through that one language, they conveyed the vision that they had for what they were going to do. What they were, what they were planning to do. And if God had not intervened, pretty soon they would have people falling off of that tower for lack of oxygen. I mean, you can only go so high and you start running out of oxygen. With, with that one language, they used words to paint a picture, to uh, paint an image in the, in the hearts of the people that were there. Okay, this is an old example. I'll use it. I'm seeing some people going, you know, like, it's, it's registering. You'll get it. Uh, some of you know, my, my, know our dog, Benji. He's a, a, a golden doodle. Now, you see, the image that you had when I started talking was the image of your dog. You were thinking about, oh, he's got a dog. I've got a dog. And so you see your dog. What color did you call Benji? When I, when I bought him, he was, he was a real pretty apricot. After he had a couple of haircuts, 
He's got a, an apricot thing that goes down his back, white on his chest, and she's prejudiced. <laughs> but you see, with each word I give you, the image of my dog becomes clearer to you. He's, he's, a, he's supposed to be a mini, but Lydia says he's not a mini. He's, he's bigger than a mini. But according to that breed, he's a mini. And he's about this tall, real friendly. If you, if you get close to him, he'll give you a kiss. Bunch of kisses. So, with words, I have just painted a picture. Now, you know, whenever you see, see Benji now, you'll, you'll know, oh, that's Benji. He's got a little cute button, brown button nose, and two little brown eyes that you just can't hardly say no to. When, I, when I'm sitting down to eat, he'll come around and he'll put his head right here. And he's looking up at me with those little brown eyes. And I thought, oh, I need to go lock him in the bathroom or something. I don't get to eat all my food. He have to share with him. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with 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 that one language, they used the words. The, the people that were leading, I guess you would say, they got together and they began talking to others and said, now this is what we want to do. This is what we are going to do and this is how we're going to do it. See, they're imagining. They started imagining before they started doing. They, they imagined what it, what it could be like. All right? And so they started using words to uh, do that, to bring other people into their imagination, into the picture of what they were going to do. And they began doing it. You know, being in agreement, listen real good, being in agreement is critical for the prayer of agreement to work. This is just one facet of faith. Being in agreement means that we are in agreement with one another based on the words that we use in prayer. Lydia and I have seen this work marvelously around the world in foreign countries and here. But you know, she can't pray one way and I'm trying to hook up with her and I'm going this way. We have to be going together in the same thought based on the same words. Lord, this is what we're in agreement about. This is what we're believing for. And your word says when we are in agreement that this is what you will do for us. Okay? Now, in, uh, let, let's go over to uh, chapter 12. I want us to look at another example of, uh, of seeing Now, when, when God first comes to Abraham, he's 75 years old. Not a spring chicken. 75. Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. Anyway, I'm, I'm going through this kind of fast, but I want you to take, take some time and and read this this portion of 
Genesis 11, 1 through, 1 through uh, 7, especially focusing on verse 6. Which they have imagined to do. When you imagine something, you're seeing, you're, you're developing an image in you of something. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Going back over here to chapter 11. The Lord said uh, they all have one language and they have begun to build this tower. You know, you can, you can take this same principle with your words and build an image inside of you. Now, see, there's, there's two ways to do this. And they have begun. So there were, there were people in agreement. They were moving in one, one vein. But what about you individually? This same thing will work for you when you're believing God for something. By your words, not just mental and they said, it's listed three times, and they said. So they were talking to themselves and others, projecting that image. What about you by yourself? Someone uh, wrote a book on, on uh, John G. Lake, and they said every morning when he would get up to get ready to... Uh, Leave, leave the house, he would, he would look in the mirror and he would say, say to the image in the mirror, he said, God lives in that man. God's living in that man. He did some of the most phenomenal miracles. Phenomenal healings. And it took... See, when you start, it takes a little while before you begin to believe what you're saying. He would look in the mirror and say, God lives in that man. Well, that's what the Word says. We're not being proud. We're just saying, glory to God. This is what Jesus said. The Word says. Okay, Genesis. Where are we? We're going to start here try to get through this. Now, the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. Now, what, what's, what, what is he saying here? He's specific in what he's saying. Get out of your out of your your, uh, your country, get out of your father's house, leave your family, and I'll show you where to go. Well, he did part of it. He drug Lot around with him for a while, which was, in, which was an impediment because that's not what God said. Verse 2, And I will make thee... Remember, the conversations between God and Abram and I will make thee a great nation. Now, if, if that were all he said to him, how would you take that and develop that in your imagination? Because God said it. I didn't come up with it. God told me. God is here making a covenant with Abraham. Now, God has said, 
I will make you a great nation. Well, what does he mean by that? If I were going to do it, what's involved? See, you're, you're, you're working on your imagination. And then he goes on and he says, and I, w and, oh, I love those ands. Those are marvelous conjunctions. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Because I'm blessing you, you will be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. You know, a lot of this right here is so far over his head. He might be getting a little bit of it, but it's going to take some time. Because all of this is... It's, it's awesome. It's big. So, I want, I want you to go home with this, this thought. And I will make, the, make you a great nation. Go home and think about it. What would be involved? What would God do for me to do this? The first time we have recorded of, of God coming to Abram, He makes a covenant with him, and He tells him. God tells Abram. It wasn't his idea. Abram didn't come up with these things. He says, well, God, why don't you do this for me? God came to him and said, Abram, I'm going to do this. <coughs> Covenant in, in the Bible is usually between a greater and a lesser. Jonathan made covenant with King David before he was king. David was a shepherd. He was a, he was a hick from the backside. He was, he was a person that... He was known for taking care of his father's sheep. He was a country boy. And Saul's son, Jonathan, was raised in a king's house, so to speak. He had the clothes, he had the armor, he had this and that. David had nothing. If you go back and read, when, David, uh, when Jonathan approached David and talked to him about covenant, Jonathan started stripping down. He took off his clothes, took off his, his uh, robe, he took off all of his stuff and gave it to David. He gave him his armor. And I won't take the time to go into what each thing has to what it means, but he was making a covenant. He says, this is mine and I give it to you. And David goes, I don't have anything to give to you. And you see that the, the most wonderful relationship between these two men and when Jonathan was killed, the covenant passed not just it wasn't just between the two but it was between their descendants and so after John, uh, david was established king he began to ask is there no one left in the house of jonathan and they said there's one guy when when you came in and took over the 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 mindset was you have to flee because we were the descendants of Saul. And they are, David might be afraid that we will rise up in a rebellion and overthrow him, so we have to get out of here quick, or he'll kill us all. The nurse that was taking care of uh, Mephibosheth, she dropped him on her way out, and apparently it broke his feet. And so he was a cripple. 
But when Jonathan or when David went and found him, he took him. He was scared. He thought he was, they were going to kill him. He he took Mephibosheth to where he lived, David, and he ate at his table every day. He was treated like family. He took care of him, not because of him, but because of the covenant that Jonathan and David had. He got in on the blessings. So, here's, here's God with Abraham, and He's making, a, making that kind of a covenant with Abraham. Let me read this to you, verse 2, from the Amplified. This is the New Amplified. <clears throat> and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you abundantly, and make your name great, exalted, distinguished, and you shall be a blessing, a source of great good to others. This is the, the, the classic Amplified. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you with abundant increase and favor. Now that, that one right there would be a good place to start thinking. With abundant increase of favor. And make your name famous and distinguished. And you will be a blessing, dispensing good to others. Now remember, words convey an image. Okay? Let's go to chapter 13. You know, Abram didn't have uh, internet. He didn't have a radio. He didn't have a TV. He had the uh, night sky or a lamp inside of the tent. So what I'm getting at is he he didn't have the distractions. He had the time to think about what this God that had that's come to him, what he said to him. Now, if you take the definitions, which the language uh, that that Abram was hearing, he he had words that were conveying an image to him, and he had the time to sit and think. What this, what this God has said to me. Genesis 13, verse 1 and 2. And Abram went up out of Egypt, and that was a trip in itself. The uh, Pharaoh blessed Abram, took Sarah into his harem, and was going to marry her. And for, for the sake of Abram, it said he gave, him, he gave him sheep, oxen, asses, men servants, maid servants, she asses, and camels. She must have been a looker. Wow. And so when he finds out that no, this is, this is my wife. And he finds out, you know, everything that Abram said to, the, said to Pharaoh, uh, and he eventually lets him go, he didn't take anything back. He didn't say, you lied to me, I want all my stuff back. He left with all that. Isn't that increase of favor? And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him unto the south. And Abraham 
was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. If you go back and look, Lot was rich in cattle. But Abram had silver and gold, and he went on his journey from the south to, to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and and Hi, hey, drop down to verse 6. And the land was not able to bear them. Now you understand that there's, there's a, a, a matter of time that passes. You, we read this and in a few seconds we have gone from chapter 11 to 13 and we think, it just, but time has passed. Now, in verse 11, and the land, the land, think about how much land there was, was not able to bear them that they might dwell together. Verse 6, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. There was not enough grass, uh, uh, grass land for all of, all of their cattle. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram, Abram's cattle and of the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanites and the Pizzerites dwelled in the land. So obviously, uh, Abram took hold of what God said to, him, said to him about prospering. That was one thing he did not have a problem with. He said, God said this to me, and that's what he's going to do for me. And we see here he was very rich. But the part about him becoming a great nation, well, that still needs a little work on it. It's a work in progress. Okay? Verse... Verse uh, 6, And there was not enough land to bear them that, it, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram. And come on down to verse 8, And Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if, if you depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plains of Jordan, that is, uh, uh, all, and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that is, uh, well, was well watered everywhere. So you can imagine, this, this was very lush. Behold, before the Lord destroy, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest from Zor. Then Lot chose, chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the land of the plains in so we just stop right there. So, first thing we see here is, is Abram wouldn't put up with strife. He wouldn't put up with it in his tent or among his, him, his employees. He wouldn't put up with it uh, with Lot and his, his uh, herdsmen. He wouldn't put up with it at all. And... Uh, You just you know it was it was one of those things that we need to we need to recognize. So he calls Lot in, 
calls it lot on the carpet, and we're going to have a talk. He says, uh, we've, we've got a problem. And he let, he let Lot choose. Now think about it. Who it is that's... He could have told him, you're going there, I'm going here. But he gives him a choice. Uh, you choose which part you want, and I'll take the other part. You know, if, if Lot were smart... He would have given Abram, he would, he would have shown honor to Abram and says, no, you choose where do you want to go and I'll go the other way. And I believe he would, have, he would have been prospered. He would have been blessed for doing that. But that's what, not what happened. It, it's, it's like I, I've heard a number of people uh, several times, I've heard them put it this way, Lot should have had a barbecue. He should have had a major barbecue and gotten rid of his cattle just so he could have stayed with Abraham, Abram. The blessing was on Abraham, not on Lot. Lot was prospering because of his close association with Abram. But his choice that he made almost cost him his life and his family's life. Come to think of it, he lost all of his cattle because of the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah that came. And he just barely got out of there. Why would, why would Abram give Lot this choice? Why would he come to him and say, I mean, he's prosperous, he's rich, got cattle coming out the ears. Why would he come to this lesser person and ask him, he says, now you make the choice. Why would he do that? Business-wise, that doesn't make sense. That's not a good, good thing to do. But Lot, Lot chose the better, and what was left, Abram took. The reason Abraham, Abram did this was because he knew that he had the blessing. He has spent some time thinking about this covenant that God's made with him. And he saw he was blessed and he was increasing. He knew the blessing was on him because of, of what God had said to him and he kept his word. So I can take, I can take a mud pie and make, make something rich out of it and you can go wherever you want, but you go without the blessing. Chapter 13. Let's look it down in verse 14. And the Lord, now, the whole deal is, is settled. They've separated between them. And the Lord said, so the Lord comes to Abram after this is all settled. The Lord said unto Abram, after Lot had separated, him, separated from him, lift up now thine eyes. You know, God doesn't say things just for joking, just, just to be shucking and jiving. He's serious. Lift up now your eyes and look from this place where thou art, northward and southward, eastward and westward. Basically, he's saying, lift up your eyes and whatever you can see. For all the land which thou seest, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. You know, with the stuff that's going on in, in the Middle East, you've got a fool on the north, you've got a fool on the south, you've got a fool on the east side, and they're all wanting to wipe out Israel. Verse 16, and I will, I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. He's talking to him about his descendants, his children. Arise, 
walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. You know, this, this is just is so rich in all that he's saying to Abram in these, in these verses. Abraham, you know, he could, at, at his age, he could only cover so much territory. You're out in heat, and you're walking. You've got all these cattle that you're dragging with you. So, you know, you can only cover so much. He could only cover so much to look at it, you know, in the natural. However, somebody brought this up to me one time, and I thought, yeah, that's true. He could have, by faith, looked Everywhere he looked, in his spirit, he could look beyond where he's looking. And he could have covered more territory. And I believe God would have, would have honored that. Verse 16 and 17 out of the Amplified and I will make your descendants. Abraham, you listening? Are you looking, boy? What do you see? And I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth, so that if, if a man could count the dust of the earth, then could your descendants also be counted. Arise, walk through the land of the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it to you. People are griping about Israel being where they are. They say it doesn't belong to them. They left. It's, it's ours. We have been living here. But according to this, it belonged to God to begin with. And God said, Abram, you, this is yours and your descendants forever. So who are you gonna who are you gonna listen to? The guy with all the missiles or the word of the living God? Amen. The way God God could have dealt with this was was to begin excuse me, the way Abram could have dealt with this was to begin with his imagination. Thinking, thinking out beyond the few yards that he's inhabiting. Looking, looking on down the road. Remember what God said to him over in uh, Genesis, or what God said over in, in Genesis 11. He said, nothing will be withheld from them which they have imagined to do. Nothing. I've heard uh, I've heard a number of ministers from time to time. They'll they'll talk about the imagination, and they're warning Christians. They're warning Christians about the imagination. Somebody started talking about it, and so they're they're saying no, don't 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 fool that. Don't don't have anything to do with the imagination. And they'll pull a few scriptures out of the Bible and say that the imagination of man is evil always. Well, the problem there is we're talking about two different people. He's talking about people that their, their imagination is not sanctified. They're sinners, and that's what makes them tick. There, there's, there, um, their, their imagination hadn't been sanctified. Now, think about this. The imagination is something that God has given to every person. Why would He give you something that's evil to drag around with you, to constantly tormenting you with evil thoughts? It's not, that's, that's not the problem. 
The imagination is not the problem. It's the heart of the man. If a person has a wicked heart, an unbeliever, and that's, that's what they're using, it's not going to be good. You know, I was thinking about this when I was studying. I thought, you know, uh, the architect that drew up the plans for this building used his imagination. And if I had walked into his office and laid down a half a million dollars more, I imagine he could have used his imagination a lot further. I can guarantee you he could have. He, he was a good architect. People that put the landscape together here at the church used their imagination where to put this and where to put that and what to put here and there. Use your imagination. Now listen, use your imagination for the glory of God. Don't allow the devil to get into your imagination with thoughts and images that will lead to sin. I heard Marie Woodworth Edder, would, uh, when she was in St. Louis, she was uh, holding some meetings, and people would come in on a train and step off the train and fall out. Right there, face down, right into the concrete. And, and the conductors, you know, the people there that work at the station, they said, well, I know where, this, where to send them. And they would send them over to Marie Woodworth Edders for the meetings that she was having. They said that the, the, that the, the glory of God would, would uh, how can I say it, from where she was, it would go out 50 miles? I think it was, I don't remember if it was 5 or 50 miles. It was, it was a, a phenomenal distance where... The, the, the glory could be felt in that, that distance, in a circumference around. The train station was the, the main means of transportation back then. Step off the train and boom. People just walk around and say, well, I know where he's going. Think like that. That gives glory to God. The presence of God, the influence of His presence. Going out from this place, affecting Ford County. You see, there's a lot of people that don't use their imagination because they don't, they have never developed their thinking regarding God. They don't see Him as a powerful being. That His mercy and His love towards people is such that it will go out reaching out for them. I was thinking about this one day. You know, the Lord is a God of love even to a sinner that doesn't love Him. And, and if He can find people that will discipline themselves to be vessels of His power, He will reach out to these people. Now, if that be the case... What would he do for a person that would say, yes, Lord, I'll be that person? Your imagination gives you images to help you in what you're believing God for. 
See, if you go before the Lord and you ask, you ask Him for something, well, what are you asking for? I heard uh, Dr. Yungi Cho, pastor of the largest church in the world, at the end of the Korean War, they were just picking up pieces, trying to put their life back together because it looked like Germany after America bombed them. And they were starting all over. And he was called to the ministry. And, and he, needed, he needed a bicycle, he needed a desk, and he needed a chair for his office. He was sitting on the floor studying. And he went to the Lord to ask the Lord for a bicycle. Because that was, that was his transportation to go, to go see people. And uh, time ticked by and the bike didn't show up. And the, he went back to the Lord and says, what's the deal? What's, why is, what's the problem here? And the Lord asked him, well, you said you want a bicycle. What do you want? What kind of bicycle do you want? And, and so he started thinking about it. He started looking around. And he said, Lord, I want this kind of bike. I want this color. He started building an image in his imagination because of the things that he was seeing. He said, That's, that'll, be, that'll be very sufficient right there. I want that. And it wasn't very long before it showed up. Then he started working on a, on a desk. And he said, Lord, I, need, I, I want this kind of a desk to work to, to, for, my, me to be, uh, for me to study. And uh, I don't remember if he did this right off or we did the same process again. But he finally got to the point, he said, I want a mahogany I think it was an American desk, but it was a mahogany. And then he told the Lord what kind of chair he wanted. He got it. I think he, did he die? He just recently passed away. And his, his church... Uh, was approaching a million. A million. 24 hour prayer, and they, uh, they, you were not allowed to come to church but once a week. To get all the people through there, you know, you have this is service, and you go out, and we fill them up again. And he had a staff of, I don't remember how many pastors that helped him preach. So apparently he hit something that worked. So I'm going to stop there. Let's all stand. You know, something that many people get frustrated with and they, they don't understand why things are not working, well, if you go back in, to Mark 11, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe No, don't go ahead of me. Believe. Now, see, a lot of people don't want to be honest about this. They're not, in, they're not patient. He said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe. This thing that you're praying for, can you believe for it? Or is this over your head? Have you believed up to that point?
up to that level? Or are you one of these ladder climbers that wants to skip a lot of rungs? You want to start at the top. You don't want to have to start down at the bottom. If you cannot honestly, with your heart, believe for something, go get in the Word until that image is in you. And then start praying. Then start speaking to that mountain. You know, people think, I don't know what they think about the Holy Spirit, but you know the Holy Spirit wants to come along and, and wants to help you. But you see, we have to walk together. And I'm telling you, with company like the Holy Ghost, That's even better. That is even better. But do you understand what I'm saying? We, we want to jump out and believe for this when we've never believed for this. That's why he says the just shall live. You need to be living daily using your faith on something. And it'll start growing. Amen? Amen? Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You so much for the help of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we... Oh my goodness, we need Your help so badly. I ask You, Lord, to open our eyes to the things we haven't seen. Bring to our understanding those things that we don't know, that we might walk closer with you and be your children, faith children of a faith God. Help. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn and greet somebody around you.